Hey, it's David Ward. Real quick before we get to the episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the content, please share and subscribe to the podcast. I've heard every time you subscribe, a drummer gets their wings. So please help a drummer out and subscribe. All right, now on to the show. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Musicians on the Record, the show where we bring you the musician's story. I'm David Ward, and I am so grateful and blessed today to have on the show uh, uh, an amazing drummer uh, and a guy who's made his career in the business, not only from playing, but a real behind-the-scenes kind of guy as a production and tour manager for some of the legends in music, Stevie Wonder, Diana Ross, and Barry Gibb, and many more, plus... He's fighting crime from the Batcave, former uh, officer of the law. Carlos Guzman is on the record today. Welcome, Carlos. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very blessed to be here with you and everybody out there and, and musicians on the record. I mean, it's it's a fantastic site, and I'm very, very honored to be a part of it. Well, thank you. Thank you for making the time and being here. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I, I'd love to start with how we connected, actually, uh, from an organization, an important one called the Sessions Panel. Right. Um, and for folks who don't know about it, check out thesessionspanel.org. Tell me a little bit about your connection with them, please. It actually started with the very first project with Jules. I've been with Jules Follett uh, since the very beginning with the, the Sticks and Skins book. I was the guy that uh, she hired to go with her uh, around the world, basically, to help set the drums up for everybody that was in the book. You know, I mean, that's how she kind of, I mean, originally she met me when she shot uh, Russ Miller. I was out in uh, Los Angeles and we were doing a video uh, project. And thanks to Bobby Booz. uh, and, 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 you know, he basically said, hey, go shoot these guys. She came, met me met my story, started talking to me about my story. And she says, hey, I, I need somebody to go with me. They had just started the book, uh, you know, actually trying to, you know, go around the world and, and do the book. Yeah. So, but I, I don't know how to set up a drum set. So can you go with me and, and we'll, you know, we'll have a good time. And I said, sure. So I basically started from the very beginning with Sticks and Skins, became an advisory board member through that. And uh, after the book was out, she didn't want to do another book. So this panel uh, idea came up and she said, you know, since you do production, because everybody on the panel from the very beginning has a little niche that they do. You know, Don does his motivational speaking and Global Ambassador and Paul Quinn uh, does the entertainment part, you know. Uh, there's always an artist. Uh, you know, we got Liberty DeVito that always comes in and does... It's just, it's just liberty, you know. I mean, that's that. I mean, he's an amazing person. I mean, right. to begin with, yeah. uh, you know, we've had Russ Miller on there, uh, you know, who was on the original one that does commend me. It's just a tremendous, tremendous uh, speaking force. Uh, and then since I've been in working for the past twenty years now with uh, production, I I do my little spiel on production, and we have Christine Ullman from Saturday Night uh, Band. She does the roots uh, of music. Which, you know, the cool thing about being on this is no matter how many times we do a panel, I always learn something. You know, even even knowing what they're going to say, there's always something that they say, especially on Christine's part, that, 
you know, I, I said, oh, I got to go check that particular artist out. And thanks to YouTube, I, I start learning all about that particular artist, right. you know? Right. There's a, there's a gem to be taken from every discussion, right. it sounds like, right? right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, and they're great guys. I mean, I, I'm yeah. very humbled and, and blessed to be among, you know, yeah. among them. Right. Well, and you, you deserve your place among them, you know. certainly. But this, this um, I want to get the name of the book, right? Because I've interviewed Jules. So Sticks and Skins book is, is amazing. I didn't realize that you were the guy who went with her. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, mean, I, I owe a lot in this business for the past, I say, eight years yeah. to Jules. Jules has opened up my world, and I can't say enough about her. She is the drummer's guardian angel right I'm telling yeah. you. i mean she really is if it wasn't for jewels a lot of us would not would not be where you know i wouldn't be in front of you i i, I know that i you know it's just the way it is she always looks out for the drummers and always gives the drummers something you know right right exactly <laughs> well and and when we interviewed she was just telling me story after story about uh talking with and interviewing these world legendary worldwide drummers can you share any sort of highlights or story you must have met them all right i i, I met quite a few because of course i was still working so i mean when she would call me you know i mean that was the thing but they they all were like amazing there really wasn't anybody per se that you know i i i mean especially with paul like paul quinn he he got to meet uh you know uh roger um, you know, out, out of uh, Memphis, and, and uh, it, yes. it was amazing. It it it's it's amazing the amount of talent that's still there, right. and they're all very humble. And I've and I've met so many of them from within the book. You know, I mean, they've become my friends. You know, right. I mean, they really were. You know, but uh, I would really have to kind of think about what was an amazing part because every time we go out with Jules. <laughs> It, there's, it's an amazing. It's like right. so and so. Your drumming hero, uh, right. you know, Bernard Purdy is there. Right. So we're talking. Yeah. So I'm talking to Bernard about his stuff. Uh, I, I talked to Don Kyle Blaine. Oh my God, we did a cl- uh, class of '80 uh, show in New York uh, at the Cut Inner. That was amazing. She's done three separate uh, galas for Hal Blaine, honoring Hal Blaine, wow. and how. I, I got to sit for like two days along with Richard Bravo and all we did, we really bonded and having to be with Hal and, you know, after so many, you know, so many times of listening to him, I'm going, yeah. this is it. This is how blame. Right. And he become he becomes your friend. Right. You know, I right. mean, that's amazing is that so many, um, ma- you know, drummers that I've, I've worked for, you know, they were like legends and yeah. I grew up listening to them right. and hear that, here they are calling me on the phone and we're like talking to each other every day, <laughs> you know, industry people that you only read about in right. the, in the magazines, yeah. you know, and they're calling you on the phone, right. you know, it's stuff that you only dream about. Sure. And, and it's really amazing. And they're all humble. They all do so much for this business, you know, and they've done a lot for me. Let me tell yeah. you. Well, and Hal Blaine, just a very special guy, special man, special character. Did he tell you the the story of with the Wrecking Crew back in the sixties? Of if you or he had all these little sayings, hey, right? There, there was there's a couple of pictures from the class of eighty that we go off to the side and and we basically just just three or four of us. In fact, it was Paul Quinn, me, Richard Bravo, and Hal. 
And we basically spent the entire night just listening to Hal stories. Right. You know, I mean, we're, you know, I mean, that is something that will live right. in my mind forever, you know, and, and every time, like, it, you know, just any time that I'm with Hal, I'm able to get, you know, at least 30 minutes just on one-on-one. And that's stuff that will always, you know, live with me. And that's because of Jules. Because I wouldn't have met Hal if it wasn't for Jules. You know, we did another special uh, for a special concert for Hal in Nashville. And there was like so many drummers there that, you know, that got to see, you know, the experience Hal. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I I think the experiences with Hal, the three concerts that we did with Hal were amazing. Uh, There was a, (laughs) there was a, during the class of 80, especially, and toward the end of the show, Hal didn't want to be in the audience. So he sat next to me on the side of the stage. And my buddy, Richard Bravo, uh, was playing percussion uh, up on stage, and Liberty is playing drums. Okay. And, and, and Hal goes to me, he says, do you think it's okay if I go and play conga uh, you know, on the last song? And I'm going, of course. Get up there. Come on. So he's, he gets up on stage. Richard looks to the left and he sees Hal coming toward the congas. And, and he says, oh, well, I mean, like what normally somebody would do, the right thing to do. He would step back, go ahead, start playing. And Hal goes, no, 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 no. You play with me. And the, the, I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous picture uh, by Sharon that she was up on the second floor of the cutting room. She looks down. Liberty was Richard's idol, drumming idol. He was like his buddy Rich, my God, to me, he got to play with with Liberty finally. And so he's got, he's playing the last song. He's looking to his right. There's Liberty, his idol. He's looking to his left. There's Hal Blaine playing congas with him. You know, so those are the kind of experiences that Jules affords us that if it wasn't for jewels we never would have done that we never would have been able to to be you know with you know our drumming idols and afterwards going afterwards and hanging with them you know i mean it's 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 amazing they become to you know they become our friends right you know it's a it's a special special thing my my favorite quote from hal blaine and you know obviously very sad that he's passed and just an amazing life but if you smile, you stick around for a while. That was right. just that just encompassed everything for me with right. Hal. No, so. I, Hal is one of the most amazing uh, souls in this drumming community, right. and I mean, we're all better because of him. Right. No question. No question yeah. about it. So, so, what are the, some of the things coming up for you regarding? Well, obviously, uh, 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 we're doing a uh, show with Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. Okay. Uh, next next Saturday. Uh, that's, that's our, our first show. Uh, he's been uh, actually working on other projects right now. So we haven't really done anything since Glastonbury of 2017. He took off two, uh, he took off the entire year of 2018 to work on basically projects. There was a, there's a book coming out. There's a documentary coming out. There's a movie coming out. So he's been working with that. So we all have been working with different people, uh, you know, which is fine, but this is the first uh, show. It's uh, for this tennis star, Chris Everett. And sure. she has, okay, she has a, a, a foundation, a gala every year. And he's going to be the featured artist uh, at this gala next Saturday at the uh, Boca Raton uh, Resort. 
Wow. And so we all we're all getting together. We're gonna the family's getting back together. Yes. We got rehearsals starting Monday, so it's gonna be a, a fun week next week, to say the least. That sounds great. I mean, yeah. you know, Barry Gibb, obviously of the Bee Gees, uh, legendary band. You know, I want to talk about your story, but but let's talk about Barry because what you're doing, and I want to know more about this, is right. You're you're the production and tour manager. Right. For, it really for, depends. Yeah, it, it depends on the job itself. If it's going to be a huge, uh, like the, when we went out in 2014, 2015, I was a tour manager because we had, it was a bigger crew. So there was a separate production manager per se. But, uh, you know, it's a very small, it, in this business, it's very small. I mean, it, as far as, you know, everything. And Barry's uh, crew is really only three people, basically. There's a there's a monitor uh, engineer that's been with him forever, John Merchant, that lives out of Nashville. Uh, you know, Dick Ashby, who is his personal manager that lives here, and me. And then if something's coming up, we all kind of like start to get together. I've learned a lot from Dick, and uh, because I've been with him since 2009, as as anything basically a drum tech, percussion tech, tour manager, production manager, and when we went. To Glastonbury, it was just a one-off. Even though we had worked on it for a long time, it was just that one gig. We went to Glastonbury and came back. So I really wasn't a tour manager. So I did all the production work. So I went out as a tour as a production manager. Same thing as the show coming up next week. I've been doing. I've been working on this already for you know four months. You know, just doing stuff. You know, behind the scenes that a production manager would make would do, not a tour manager. So, so help me and and my audience, uh, Carlos, if you would, what does a a tour manager and a production manager do? Well, in my capacity, one of the reasons that I keep working a lot is that I wear a lot of hats. Okay. So, uh, and with Barry, I'm the drum and percussion tech. I'm the tour manager. I'm the production manager. And so I basically, because I've had great teachers every one of those fields, uh, I kind of combined them all and I made the job different, you know? So I, I, I don't, it's not that I'm trying to get like, uh, it's not like I'm trying to not have people work. Okay. It's just the business itself. Touring now is not 180 people on a crew. <laughs> plus the band and you know seven yeah. buses and stuff right there is there is them you know you have the bon jovis and keith urbans and sure. you know people like that that will t- tour forever yeah. but the working people uh you know if you can really work a lot if you learned a lot of all those different uh you know job aspects and that's what i did as even as a drum and percussion guy i was there in the morning watching how they set up everything and, you know, with Hank Williams Jr., I'd stayed at the tour manager's house and I learned how, you know, during that week before the show, I learned everything that he was doing. You know, he would give me little jobs, you know, to do. And little by little, I started to learn how any kind of job really got put together, all the behind the scenes stuff. And so I, I, I just made, you know, I'll take it just like anything else when you're cooking. I take a little bit of this, take a little bit of this, you put it together, you know. Yeah. And and that's how basically it started. Uh, where it really caught fire for me is when I went out with Max Weinberg's uh, Big Band. And that one was uh, two years almost with Max. Uh, and the first year was uh, an entire Big Band, 16-piece Big Band. 
another friend of mine that went out and Max and me. That was it. But just just the three of you. Yeah, that's it. Wow. You know, so I had to do everything. Yeah. You know, I did everything. And that's where I really learned how to be a production manager and tour manager because of all the things that started at the very beginning. You know, I mean, I went from Hank Williams Jr. as a stage manager to a production manager with Max, you know, with 18, 20 people, you know, that I was responsible for. Wow. You know, so you learn real quick what's what's um, what's the priority. Yeah. You know, right. and once you learn the priority, it makes your job so much easier. But, you know, you had to do that. You know? Sure. And, and, I, and I, I thank Max for that because, yeah. if it, you know, Max really was, you know, and, and Harry McCarthy, who really was a drum tech for, for Max when he was with Bruce and now he's with Keith Urban. Harry was, you know, a, a big, big part of my, my career with Max and getting to the next level if it wasn't for Harry. You know, you, you always got to have good recommendations, right. you know, absolutely. That's, that's how it really gets, you know, for that. <laughs> yeah. Good recommendations, the networking, that's all part of it, right? Yeah. And then when they give you, they open the door, you got to deliver. Right. That's all there's to it. Now you got to imagine Max has been with Bruce for 35, 40 years. He has a certain way that he travels. He, he's used to the best of the best. and that's what I tried to give him the same level of expertise, even if he was, you know, with Bruce that I gave it to him when he was with Max. And yeah, that was so helpful <clears throat> with, um, with Max because I had a friend of mine come out and once he started, once the band started, uh, I was able to leave the stage. I had complete contrast into Danny, who was my guy on stage. He would take care of the performance. Meanwhile, I was backstage making the phone calls to the next job, getting the, the things ready for, for the end, you know, you know, everything that went on. And I didn't, I never really saw any of the shows except the first number and the last two numbers. That was wow. it. Wow. Rest of the time, because I had to go collect money, yeah. you know, I was collecting money. I was, you know, there was a lot of, you know, behind the scenes stuff yes. that you got to keep going. That's all there's to it. There's travel and stuff. You got to make sure that everything's ready to go. Because, you know, as I tell people in the sessions panel, everybody says, oh, man, if I was in charge, I, I, I would do things so much different. Things would be so much different. Well, when you're that guy right. and you're in charge and something messes up, you got nobody to blame but yourself. And you learn that real quick. So you can't, there can be not no mistakes. That's all. It's got to be 100% perfect every time every day and from the time i leave in from my house to the time i come back at the end of a run i'm i'm like on call 24 7 you know it's stressful but you can't you can't blame anybody right you know that's yeah. all there's to it you right. can't yeah you have you have to be the best that's all there's to it they expect that so and and obviously you you talk about some of this stuff with the sessions panel because right. I was trying to get an idea of like what what are the actual duties of a production and tour manager and you know you'll have to bear with me because right. my my model is like Peter Grant or Richard Cole the manager and tour manager of Zeppelin so <laughs> you know and and watching the song remains the same and Peter Grant fighting these right. these places to give them their money for the night. So, right, right. Uh, you know, what are what are some of the duties and the challenges for you it, around? This it time? really depends on where we're going to go. Let's say for Glastonbury, yeah. 
I had to look for a place for rehearsals. So I had to start going on the internet looking for a rehearsal place. Uh, I had to you know, go ahead and, and get all the gear ready, you know, because we weren't going to take over any gear. Uh, I had to get work permits ready, you know. I had to get hotel rooms. I had to start looking for hotel rooms. Uh, the, the, you know, at, once the flights were, were booked, I had to give everybody the flights, make sure that all the visas were done. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, and the, with the Glastonbury, with every, uh, because at the time we went over was in June of 17. That's when all those terrorist attacks were going down in England. So every time there was a, any type of an attack, the next morning I would get a slew of emails. We need this more information. We need more information to the point of after the third attack, they, they sent me an email. They needed to know the tag number of the truck that where the gear was going to be on and the name of the driver. Now we're still four months out. Right. Okay. Right. But we still, that's how detailed you have to, you know, you have to call the company says, I need this. And they have to supply it to you so you can give it back to the promoter. You know, it, it's very detailed work. But because of my job, you know, my, my previous job with the police department, it's it's the same thing. You know, wow. everything that I learned as a policeman, I just apply it as a tour manager, production manager. It's, oh, so it's, it's the same. It's, it's the same, you know, skill sets. That's that's amazing to hear. I want to hear about the parallel, because the more I'm hearing about you talking about this, uh, right. Carlos, is uh I I think the drums is way more simple. So, but you're talking about <laughs> you're, you're talking about an enormous job here of yeah, keeping this no, ship it, sailing. Yeah, it is, and I'm 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 uh, I'm blessed to be able to you know, like I said, I've had great teachers, absolutely great teachers, and that really really goes back down to it is just watching how the best do their job and copying it. You go, oh, that's it. You know, okay, I can do that. You know, I mean, that's no big deal. And, uh, you know, and then you learn. And, you, of course, you're going to make mistakes like anything else. You just try not to make them again. That's all. And that's how you survive in this business. You know, uh, it, it's just detailed work. Every Everything is just detailed work. And you've got to know how you can separate yourself from anything so you make sure that there's mistakes. You know, because that's what they're paying you. They're paying you quite well, you know. And and uh, uh, here, here's another example. Working with Diana Ross. Yeah. I started working. I did six years with her. The first day that I was, a, and, and I was a stage manager and drum and percussion tech with her. Okay. The first day that she came out, she's very detail-oriented. She is not, as I say, a diva. No. I'm going to put this out right now. She's not evil. She's one of the most sweetest persons I've ever had to be around. She's incredible. Okay. And uh, she came up to me and says, okay, you know, the stage manager, this is how I want my stage set. And she went around and she explained everything, even to the point of like, if she had these stairs coming down, you look through the stairs, there were some wires. He says, I don't like that. I don't want to see that. You know, make sure that there's some, uh, you know, material back there so you don't see the wires. I don't want to see water bottles or, or stuff on stage, you know, or, or pals. You know, I want a clean look. I want every, okay, okay, all right, this, 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 okay, no problem. The next day she came on stage, you know, for sound check, started looking around at everything that she had told me and I had done and she didn't say nothing. The third day she came out, saw me saying again, 
Everything was exactly what you said. That's the best part about it. They tell you what they want. Right. So, you know, right. so I gave it to her. Yeah. Right. right. And by the before day, she would come on and she went start checking something else. She never, ever had to tell me about something that she had told me to do that it wasn't done. You know, right. and uh, it, it was amazing. And, and, you know, and I got to really I mean, I had to I had to open the shows with her because she would be behind curtains and it was just me and her. Wow. You know, and very one on one type of situations. And, you know, she depended on me for the count to open a curtain at a certain time, amazing. you know. Yeah. And so, you know, so things like that were amazing. But, you know, people say that she was a diva. She is not a diva. She right. just wants things done a certain way. Right. You know, that's and, all there's to it. Right. You know? And and that's actually sounds more helpful when there's that clear communication. It's, it's right. more the problem when they don't tell you what they want, but expect right. you to figure it out. Right. And and that's like with Hank Williams Jr. I, that one was completely opposite. You know, I had to learn that one by osmosis, period. You know, but I had everybody on the crew and I'd been with him for a while. So they taught me what what he wanted. Because he basically just gets to the venue, goes on stage, and leaves. That's it, you know. Yeah. But you know, again, you're working with an icon, you know, Hank right. Williams Jr. I mean, you know, I mean, it was incredible, you know. I mean, and again, I did six years with him. I recently just did six uh, a date with him two weeks ago at the new Seminole uh, Hard Rock that opened down here, awesome. and he came in and he came in, did a show, and we had a great time, you know, together. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk a little bit more. Let's do a, a bit of a deep dive because I want to hear your story. I mean, you're working with some of the biggest artists in music uh, with right. Hank Williams, Diana Ross, Max Weinberg, Stevie Wonder. But yeah, everybody's got an origin story. When did you right. fall in love with music and the drums? In junior high school, uh, we had we had a tremendous musical education program down in Day County, Florida, where I went. And uh, I, I, I was in, immersed in bands from eighth grade. In fact, in eighth grade, we had a dedicated one-hour drum class in eighth grade. We're talking 1971? No, wait, 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 67. 1967, we had, a, you know, in the public school system, that you had a drum class in, as part of the curriculum. Because of the drunk, uh, the the uh, band director. Wow! So that that was teaching you already. So by the time you left junior high school, and you got to high school, it, you know it, it was amazing. You know we already had the tools right. to to become a really proficient player. And in and in high school, I was in the marching band. I was in the orchestra. I was in the uh, uh you know the stage band, the jazz band. You know uh, there was all the productions that they would you know the the, the Broadway productions that they would do. That they would get the people from the band, and we'd do that. We had, uh, you know, you know, football games every week. I mean, at my senior year, I was four periods out of the six in the band room playing. Wow, <laughs> that's a pretty good schedule, right there, right? <laughs> I just because you could. I yeah. Did, I just all I had to do was get the two requirements, and the rest of the time, they had all these classes available as electives. You know, wow. so. You know, it, you know, I was playing and then I would go home practice and then come back for the marching, you know, band, band drills at nighttime. <laughs> you know, yeah. so. so you were doing a lot of drumming 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Were, were you yeah. playing any other instruments or was it dr- drums was just, the drums. love? Just, just snare drums on the marching thing and then drum sets on the jazz band. And that was it. That was, you know, I wasn't, you know, of course with the orchestra, I was playing like timpani and stuff like that. Not, not into the, to the bells, you know, or the xylophones and bells and stuff like that. But still I was getting a curriculum even in the orchestra, you know, and in fact, uh, part of the orchestra I was a guest conductor every once in a while. They let me conduct right. the orchestra. So, I got Very to good. conduct the orchestra, you know, and our, our, uh, our orchestra director, uh, he basically put together every year a pops concert, just like the pops concert from, from Boston. You know, uh, he, he would do one in Hialeah, Florida, you know, and then we would have the orchestra. They would have with, I did a, uh, a drum battle with, uh, you know, with this rock, uh, guy that wasn't the orchestra. And it was, there was a huge drum battle between the two of us because I was the jazz guy and he was the rocker, you know. So we put together a band and we had a, a drum battle at during the Pops concert, you know, I mean, very innovative stuff because you're sure. talking 1970s, right? You know, I mean, that none of that stuff was happening at all. And I was blessed to be part of that. I mean, that was my education, right? You know, and that was normal. Yeah. Which right. now it's very, very difficult to have. That, you know, the electives and stuff like that. Everything's after school or right. before school, you know, once a week, you know, right. and, and that's why things are a little bit different. And, you know, I mean, it's just a bigger, you know, school yeah. system. Uh, you know, the kids are spread out. Back then, everybody was together. You know, yeah. I mean, my graduating class was a thousand. You wow. Know, that's, that's a big class. That's a big class. Now yeah. they're like a couple hundred. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I would have liked school a lot more if I could have played drums all day too. So that would be, yeah. It was great. I mean, that's all we talked about was, yeah. you know, music. And, you know, we were so much into Bloods, Wind, Tears in Chicago and Chase and all those bands from that era. I mean, that's what we wanted to be. You know, we wanted to be in those kind of bands, you know, even our, our, uh, you know, our, you know, our duty bands are, you know, when we would play like at home and stuff like that, that would be, you know, we try to put together like a Chicago type of band, you know, and that was a cool thing because I, I was a huge fan of Danny Seraphim. Yeah. I got to meet Danny on during one of those sessions and we spent two days instantly just bonding over, you know, being with him. And every time we see each other, it's this big, huge hug, you know, and just saw him not, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, recently in Vegas. And, uh, you know, that was, that was amazing. You know, Danny is a very, very dear friend. Yeah. Such a great drummer as well. You know, it's an amazing, amazing drummer. So so Danny was one of the main influences for you. Who else were you listening to that was starting to shape your, your ears? Buddy Buddy Rich. Yeah. Yeah. Buddy Rich. Um, I distinctly remember that when I bought the first Buddy Rich Swing Into New Big Band album, and I put it on in my, in my record player in my home. And that, that started that first tune, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, you know, what is this? You know, and I was hooked. And then, you know, then I heard West Side Story. I'm like, okay, it's all over now, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, and so you start trying to play, you know, along and you, you know, but still that's how you become a better player <clears throat> is by trying to imitate your heroes. Yes. And that's, you know, of course we're playing. I, it, it was, it was amazing, but Buddy was always uh, a, a huge, huge influence. Uh, retrospect, I mean, you know, really Buddy, um, you know, Bobby Columbia from Blood, Sweat and Tears. Uh, you know, I, you know, and anybody, you know, anybody basically from that era of, of, you know, horn bands, you know, I mean, anybody 
that we saw that that was the amazing part. You know, I mean, it it, it was incredible. Buddy Louis Belson, you know, <laughs> you know, anybody that had a big band, yeah. we went and saw. You know, and especially that was the only sad part was that down here we really didn't get a lot of those kind of artists because it would take such a long time for them to get down south Florida. Right. You know. Sure. So, you know, I mean, you know, and we were in high school, you know, so, I mean, I remember going to see Buddy at this club. We couldn't see him both nights, you know, mm. but we went outside and we were by the backstage door. Listen, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. I love it. So, and we yes. hear him and go, we're going to see him tomorrow. Can't wait. Right. This is going to be right. great. You know, but you can hear Buddy and you can hear Lynn Viviano doing, you know, his lead trumpets and stuff. And. All this through the ear, you know, everything's audible now. I mean, that's one thing that's we learned so much just by listening back then, which now, unless there's a video, a lot of people don't even tune into that. You know, right. so that 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 skill set has definitely gone away, you know, because of video. Yes, no question. And, you know, so it sounds like this dream was developing to sort of be in this sort of maybe jazz rock fusion well, band like the, Chicago. The the dream really was to become um, a member, like a drummer for like Tom Jones mm. or Jack Jones or, yeah. and, you know, like in, 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 a, in a, that was basically a tribute because back then all these artists were traveling with a five or six piece rhythm section. Then they would have the big bands, you know, and the strings and stuff. So I really wanted to become one of those guys, you know, because when I would go see them, you know, down here during their shows, I said, man, I want to be that guy. I want to be like the drummer, be, you know, because Tom Jones had a killing band, still does, always has, you know. Amazing. And what, what a powerhouse. And Angry yeah. Bird. And, you know, right. I mean, everybody from those, those, those stars. <clears throat> so I had a fantastic teacher uh, by that time, uh, Frank Garisto. Frank Garisto was the original, now, original Tonight Show drummer with Jack Parr. Before oh. Johnny Carson, so way back in the day, then way back in yeah. the day, he started with he started the original Tonight Show, and uh, you know, and, and basically he was teaching at this college, this uh, you know, this community college, and he he heard my dreams, and he says, well, at that time there was only three places that you could go: you can go uh, to New York, you can go to Vegas, or you go to uh, California. Yeah. That's really Nashville was not anywhere near what it is back then, yeah. you know, because we're talking 77, yeah. you know, it really wasn't. So if you really wanted to be with these people, that's what you had to do. So I, I, I saved up some money <laughs> and I put everything in a van um, and I put my drums, my clothes, my record collection, you know, my a MasterCard yeah. and $800. Wow. And I took off for Vegas. Because I figured Dave, Vegas was going to be small enough that I could meet people. And all the acts were there. I'll be able to get on, you know, with somebody or at least audition for them. Yeah. And uh, after three days, I landed in, in Vegas. Wow. So you just yeah. went for it, packed it. Yeah, I just went for it. And and again, all the, my story, you cannot do now. I mean, yeah. because of security and stuff like that. And I'll right. tell you what. I got to Vegas and on the way out there, I'm going, how am I going to meet the drummers? And the musical directors, because I'm not worried about the artists. I need to meet the drummers and the uh, and the musical directors. Those are the ones that are going to give you the gigs. Well, I got to uh, to Vegas, and right across from where the Bellagio is now, it used to be called the Dunes. Right across from that was this little 
efficiency apartments, you know, you, you can rent by the week and stuff. And that's where I, I stopped. That same night, I got into my, I got into a tux, uh, I, and I got my little stick bag, and I said, well, let me see, where am I going to go? And I said, okay, well, let me go to the Hilton, because I had to find a way to get backstage. I wasn't, I couldn't pay for the, the show, and I wouldn't be able to meet anybody, so I had to get backstage. So as I got, I, I said, well, let me try this. And the youth will help you do anything, okay? Because now there's no way that anybody would do this. Right. But right. anyway, I parked my, my van, and I ran up to the back door, and there was a security guard there. And I said, hey, I, they just called me. I'm subbing today at the percussion. I've never been to this place before. How do I get backstage? Wow. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, down the hall to the left. <laughs> <laughs> that is no, great. No no asking for, like, you know, anything. Right, you know, right, no right. driver's license. No, yeah. no, they couldn't yeah. care less. Just go ahead, kid. Get amazing. out of my life. It's amazing. So I got there, and it was a Ike and Tina Turner at that time. Wow. We were on stage. Wow. And I walked around the back. And, again, life has been really, really amazing for me. Uh, I, I went around the back. My first night in Vegas now. Went around the back. I happened to, you know, the huge orchestra and I'm there standing with my stick bag looking at the percussionist and he happens to turn around. His name is Leo Cameron. I'll never forget it. And he looks at me and he does this. And I go, yeah. And he said, come on up. So I went up the backstage and, and he gave me a tambourine. And he says, here, just play tambourine. You know, so I, I start wow. playing the tambourine. The first night. That's I unbelievable. Was, I, I got there. I said, okay, well, you know, I told Leo about, you know, afterwards we were hanging and we started to talk and he says, okay, well, you got to go, you know, check things out, you know? And so basically I used that ruse to learn how to get backstage in every casino and hotel on the strip. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> and oh by, the, <laughs> by the second week, by the second <laughs> The security guards never stopped me. They saw me coming in. They go, oh, he's a member of the band. Go ahead. That's unbelievable. <laughs> You're and, you know, and, and so, you know, all those chairs back then, uh, and, and I had, the, the way I worked it out was, you know, I said, I wanted to get the experience. I wanted to see how these people really play, see if I can really cut it. The percussionist, I became friends with all of them. And the percussion chair for all those acts were huge. You know, I mean, there's no way that one guy could cover the timpanis and, 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 and percussion and this and, you know, the bells and chimes and all that. So I said, listen, I'll do the Latin percussion and tambourines and stuff. You do your stuff. and We'll just do the show. And I started doing the shows. I just started working the shows for free. But it was experience. Right. And 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 it was great. And doing that was one of the ways I went there one night to do one of the shows. And the percussionist says, hey, the drummer or the letterman just got here. He says, I'm leaving. Go to the Riviera where they're at and, and see if you can get a, you can score an audition. And I said, okay, cool. So I went there, saw the show from the side. Of course, I could walk in in the back because I was in a tux. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, you you've already opened for Tina Turner for God's sakes. You got yeah, that no. on your resume, right? <laughs> so, so I went and I'm sitting on the side and I met the the leader Tony Butala and he said, "Hey, listen, I'm a drummer. I hear that you're going to be, you know, losing your drummer or he's going to be leaving." And I uh, said, so "Like the audition." And by then I was like three and a half months in, and I said, and I was hungry. Yeah, you know, when, obviously, when right? When you're when you're hungry and you're biting at the beat. 
Yeah. You know, you're, yeah. you're going to, you're going to, you're going to score that audition. You're going right. to kill it. You right. Know? And you're bold and, at this point. Yeah. You know, so I did, I, the next day, uh, I, I, I went there and I mean, I grew up with that music. How can you mess it up? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, so I went there and I, they, they played all their tunes and, you know, the, the organ player, Tom Margarita, looked at me and he told me afterwards, uh, after I was already on the gig, he says, we knew from the very first note that you were the guy, you know, that you were going to get. And, uh, yeah, I, that was November and I went back home and I was on the road with them for two years. Um, you know, 10 months out of the year. And then we had a month off in the middle and at the end and, uh, on a bus traveling all, all around the country. And their very first job with them was in Hong Kong. So wow, we, so- because, yeah, we did six weeks, uh, first, uh, in January of that first year. Of overseas, going to you know Japan and recording a live album with the New Japan Philharmonic, and I mean it, it was it, it was like my dream came true because I I wanted to become a drummer for a name act that wasn't a traveling band because we would have a five piece band, uh you know and you know on the bus, you know traveling the world, looking at the United States, you know through a bus. And we're young, you know, we, you know, who cares? You know, I mean, it's just, it, it was amazing. It, it still is amazing. It was, it was part of my foundation really of, of how I came to be. Right. That, that, that's a lot of courage right there. And uh, so for, for the kids and the people listening at home or wa- watching or listening on the podcast, this right. is certainly to be bold in your, in your beginning <laughs> career, but this is not something you would recommend for folks to do. And well, they couldn't, you said now, right? Well, you couldn't do it now because of what happened after 9-11 and stuff with security being as it is. Yeah. But okay. So then you try to figure out a different way. That's all there's to it. You wait till the show is over. You get to know who this is there. You know, I mean, it really depends on what you want to do at this point, you know, or how you can get on with a gig. If you really want to get on with a gig and, you know, you're prepared to get on with a gig, then you'll find a way to get on that gig. There's no ifs, ands about it. I mean, and if you can't, if you, if you take no for an answer, you're not meant for this business because no, it, you know, that really sets you apart from, you know, if you can really work in this business, because there's a lot of no's in this business. Right. right. And you've got to persevere and keep yeah. going all the way through. And if you can keep going after somebody says, no, you're no good or, you you know, you didn't make it and stuff like that, and you still keep doing it, then you're you're meant to do this in your in this business. If you get discouraged and, and you say, no, I guess I'm no good, then you're you're not supposed to be in this business right. because it's very few, um, you know, people were as lucky as I was because I was lucky. That's all there's to it. Right. And, and there, there has to be, well, you were, you were also very self-determined. It sounds oh, like yeah. you, and you had a dream, but thankfully luck does play a part in all of this. Oh, right? absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because like I said, it wouldn't happen now. I, I caught Vegas at the very end of that era where like, if you saw the original, uh, um, Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. or Ocean's Twelve, or Ocean's Eight, or whatever right. it was—the very, very beginning one. Uh, that scene and the very beginning when it has all the hotels and everything—that's the kind of Vegas that I was starting to come into. It was a very—that was it. That was Vegas, you know, not the what it is now. Because right. I just recently was there, and it's totally different. Yeah, you it, know, to say the least. Right. You know. Yeah. But you, and I also got to tell you, when I was in Vegas, 
I mean, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was working during the day at a Dr. X pet center. Uh, you know, I doing what? Uh, cleaning cages. Yep. Because, right. Because I, you know, I was a security guard. You know, yep. uh, you know, I mean, I had to do anything just so I can make the rent. Right. And but it, it was amazing. You know, I mean, I was able to do everything at nighttime and still, you know, do what I had to do. But there was times there was some I would have like a bag of pretzels and a soft drink. That was my dinner. Yeah. You know. So, like I said, by the time four months rolled around. Yeah, you know, there was nobody that was going to stick in my way of getting again. <laughs> you were ready. You were ready. I, I, I need a dinner. I need right? A, yeah. <laughs> I need a steak. That's unbelievable. I love it. Let let me let me ask you this. As far as I mean, you were very bold going for this dream, and I love it. Let me back up a second. And uh, yeah. I mean, you grew up in Florida. And what was the conversation like with mom and dad where you said, hey, guys, uh, I'm loading up the, the van or the truck. I'm moving to Vegas and going right. for all that, not knowing a soul. I, I'm, I'm sure that they were, you know, I mean, look, my dad took me everywhere, you know, gave me private lessons. You know, they, they knew that's what I wanted to be. And they said, well, just try it. I mean, you know, what's the worst that can happen, you know, at this point? They said, just be careful, you know, bringing this. That's all you could do. I mean, they called me uh, the, when I first showed up there in Vegas. I called them and said, hey, I made it and stuff like that. And I'm doing this. And I said, okay, watch your money. And, you know, like a typical Latin parent, you know, <laughs> you know, but they were, they were extremely proud, you know, and I owe everything to them. I mean, you know, I, I knew what my dad made and my mom made, you know, we were working class people and I always had private lessons. I always had a great drum set. You know, I, I mean, it, it was, you know, I, I couldn't have done a lot of my stuff if it wasn't for my parents, too. That's yeah. wonderful. And that obviously made a huge difference with all of their support, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No you question. Know, even now, even now, there's a couple times, you know, that like, you know, that I've had to do something and it's really stressful. And I go, just look up and go, OK, you know, you put me here. I guess I could do this, you know. And, and, you know, it gives you that little extra portion. Once that happens, you know, nothing, nothing can go wrong because, you know, you got, you got them looking over you, you know, there's a lot of people looking over me now. I mean, I've been because of Jules and, and Harry and, and uh, Jerry Brown was instrumental in, in uh, you know, getting the, doing the gig with uh, Stevie Wonder. You know, that's, if it wasn't for Jerry, I wouldn't be here as well. Jerry was, you know, a huge part of opening a door for me. So, you know, you've achieved quite a few dreams, it sounds like, in the music business. Some of that started to shift and change. And uh, at some point you said, okay, this is great, but I also need to maybe pay the bills differently. Or when did you become a police officer? I, right during my Letterman years, um, like in 79. Uh, I, you know, anytime, you know, the Letterman, they would pay you, you know, year round. You were, we were on salary, which is nobody does that no more. <laughs> you know? But if, if they decided to take time off, then your money stops, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm saying, boy, am I going to be like, you know, 65, 70 years old, still looking for a gig? Yeah. My best, my best buddy, uh, that we have grown up together was a policeman. And during the tours, uh, breaks that since we had, you know, a month off, you know, during those little five months off, I would go on writing assignments, uh, you know, citizen observer programs with him. And I started looking at this and I'm going, hmm, 
well, this is kind of a cool job. You know, I said, I could, you know, leave this, become a policeman for, you know, 20 years. And if I still am alive, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, yep. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to come out with pension and health insurance and everything. And I can still play on the weekends. And that's what I did. I gave notice to the letterman. Well, I took, I took the test, uh, for Miami-Dade County and the city of Hialeah during the time during those months because everybody was starting to look for policemen back then that was right 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 before the mario boat lift that crime was starting to get out of control and citizens were going we need more police we need more police so again just like it was easy for me to get backstage it was easy for me to you know do the test and get on as a policeman and, uh, you know, I, I didn't play for two years after I got hired uh, because of the, you know, every three months you had to change, you know, shifts and stuff like that. Yeah. But after that, I started playing on the weekends. So instead of doing extra duty, I was, you know, doing, you know, club dates. I was, wow. you know, went, went in bar mitzvahs, conventions, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, and, and it, it was amazing. I, I didn't, I could work for four hours, four or five hours, and make just as much as if I did an eight-hour shift extra duty. And I was out of the uniform. I was around different people. You know, I was still, you know, practicing my craft, sure. you know, and being around musicians. And it, it was a great time at that time. It, that doesn't exist anymore down here. You know, I mean, <laughs> there's, not that, there's not that many corporate gigs or corporate offices, yeah. you know. I mean, I was... I was in the second band of, of an office. I mean, and that ought to tell you there was just that much work. Right. You know, right. all these offices had multiple bands and, you know, that were working sometimes five days a week. Wow. You know, I mean, sometimes I would leave on a Saturday at 11 o'clock. I wouldn't get home till one o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, in the morning, because I did, I had to do two jobs. You right. pack up, go to a different place, you know, yeah. that I, ha I can't even hear anybody saying that they did a double. You know, uh, you know, recently, because it's just once uh, the sequence came in, once DJ started to come in, it, the music system again changed. Right. Just like it, it's the music business. That's, right. that's all there is to it. That's and, right. you know, thankfully, since I'm doing what I'm doing, it doesn't it doesn't affect me at that point. You know, I went to a different level. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, you did. There's no question. Yeah. And yeah. it's it sounds like the the police officer uh, that gig worked out as well. But I mean, obviously, you must have been good at that because you did it for how long? I did it uh, twenty three years. Twenty three years. Yeah, twenty three years. And uh, again, it taught me everything, all the skill set as a production manager, how to fill out reports, how to deal with people, scheduling. Uh, you know. <laughs> You name it, anything that a tour manager or a production manager has to do, I learned it from them, especially people skills, you know, because you have to deal with people all the time, you know, uh, you know, musicians and, and artists, uh, promoters, agents, you know, I mean, you know, you really have to learn how to talk to these people because, you know, you're the first line, after, you know, the, they don't talk to the band, they talk to me, and then they'll talk to, you know, the manager, and then they'll go to the artist, but you know, you have to kind of learn, you know, to be the right guy, you know, and then they're also the ones that will recommend you for other jobs. You know, these, these agents and stuff, they go, Hey, we've been around him. He's, he's, he's okay. Yeah. That's, you know, something comes up, you know, you ought to call him, you know, 
And they're the ones that have the gigs, you know, they're the agents, you know, and the managers, you know, of everybody. So one hand washes the other. That's right. That's right. So, (laughs) so it's, it's not always that, uh, you know, taking a side gig is, is a way out of music. It can really help serve you in the music business as well. I, everything that I've done, I, I've been blessed that there's always, there's something that I did that something benefited out of that thing. Uh, I was a security guard uh, for, for a time for John Sakata when John Sakata became John Sakata. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was the very first crossover star and he would take me, you know, in certain jobs that were high profile. I would go with him as his bodyguard, you know, and I started to meet all these people that he was involved with. You know, Juan Carlos Sanchez, who now is the manager for uh, uh, Enrique Iglesias, and you know, uh, and then he was he was just John's accountant, you know, and it, he was so important to me as a manager because I started at that time I was trying to uh, really work with Jerry Brown as his liaison manager. I was putting together press kits, you know, for Jerry and stuff like that, which again, it was very easy to do, you know. It's just something that I saw other people do. So, but he was Juan Carlos. That man, <clears throat> he was incredible. I would go and I would call him up and I said, Hey, I've got this. I, I want to show you this press kit that I'm putting together for Jerry Brown. And he said, Sure, come on over. You come over and he put his little half, you know, half glasses on and he take out the red pen just like a teacher would. And he opened it up <clears throat> and, he, and he starts, you know, doing the red things on it. Wow. And, you know, and I said, this has to change. This has to change. The font's too little, this. But he did it for free. Wow. He didn't charge me a dime. And he said, and after it was all done, he says, okay, this is good. Let me show you how we do it with Enrique. You know, and then he took me to a separate room. And there's this huge table with all these press kits. And the guys are just doing, and I go, that's it? That's all you got to do? <laughs> he says, yeah. So at home. I would get my dining room table and I would have everything and I copied everything that I saw. That was it. <clears throat> uh, when, by that time we were still doing fax releases, you know, I would do a press release and I would send him a fax and he would call me up. He says, great release. The font's too little. Raise up the font. Stuff like that, that, you know, you never know how it's going to be perceived on the other side once you send it off, you know? So, I mean, yeah, Juan Carlos is still to this day reminds, you know, he's, he's still a huge, huge influence on me. You know, yeah. he's a powerhouse too. I mean, right. he really, he's, you know, Enrique's on top of the world. Now. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's great to have uh, amazing teachers and mentors, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and you're clearly very talented at, at a lot of different things, not just drumming, um, but, you know, a lot of helping folks behind the scenes. Right. Let me ask you, as we end, Carlos, for just like you tell folks in the sessions panel, um, and folks can go to the sessionspanel.org for more information, but for someone, what advice would you give for someone who would like to get to where you are in the music business? Okay, well, it's it's funny you say that. Uh, Because of, again, going back to Jules, uh, I was able to meet a, a drum tech hero of mine, uh, Harry McCarthy, who was Max's uh, tech for for the Bruce Springsteen stuff. And he has a tremendous uh, facility in, in Nashville, Drum Paradise. There's a rental place. 
So we were in Nashville, and I drove over to meet him. You know, I said, hey, I want to come over and meet you finally, you know, because I've, I've read about Harry forever. And uh, I, I had lunch with him and sat down. I said, you know, Harry, I want to be you. And Harry was the guy. I mean, he, he went out with Jeff Picaro. He, you know, I mean, he was out with Toto. He was out with Gad. He was out with Vinny. He was out with uh, Rick Morata. I mean, anybody huge, he was the guy that they would call. And I said, I want to be you. And he, he just kind of just follows, listen, I've been hearing a lot about you. You're doing great work. You know, again, small world, people listen. And it says, do you just keep doing what you do? And one day, the phone's going to ring, and Steve's going to be on the other line. So that's how you get the gig with these types of stars. All right, fast forward to December of 99? Yeah, around December of 99, something like that. Uh, no, I'm sorry, 2009. December of 2009. I'm at home on this right before Christmas, watching Seinfeld. <laughs> All right. The Festivus, Festivus yeah. episode, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Watching Seinfeld. <laughs> Not really hanging, you know, just kind of waiting, you know, for Christmas because it's the holiday season. Right. Phone rings. And I pick it up. Carlos? Yeah. Hey, this is Max Weinberg. Uh, can you work with me? And I look at the phone. I went, are you kidding me? I said, this is just like what Harry said, you know. And and sure enough, that's exactly how I got the gig with Max, through a recommendation of Harry. Harry couldn't do the gig. He says, you're going down to South Florida. I got the perfect guy for you. And if it wasn't for Harry, I would have never have done the, the Max Weinberg gig at all. And I've, I've been with Max. and I might be doing something with him at the end of the year, too. I still stay in contact with him. Uh, I've, I've been around him and tremendous, I mean, just a tremendous force in this business. I mean, his stories are incredible. And again, many times I'm able to, uh, you know, like when we were out in Los Angeles, we just had a one-on-one in Beverly Hills, in a little cafe outside, you know, and we just talked and talked and talked. Where can you get that? You know, where can you get that kind of, Right. Uh, of, of toxin, and, you know, and he he's incredible. I mean, yeah. I I never I I can't say nothing about Max. I and mean, Max really helped me out with a lot of things, you know, especially in this business, because yeah. you you know to do that 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 type of work, right. you really had to you know really had to step up to the plate. And I got to give it to Harry, you know. Yeah. So I would I would say to anybody out there that wants to do what I want to do, um, basically follow your dreams first. If you want to become a musician and a, an artist and stuff, do that. Don't go and be a drum tech and then think that you're going to go back up on stage. Because most people will kind of recognize you already as, oh, he's just a drum tech. You know, and uh, that's one thing that uh, one Carlos Sanchez from Enrique's people caught. Uh, he advised me, great advice. He says, I don't want you as a, as a bodyguard for Enrique. Because when another position opens up on the crew, I say like a tour manager or any type of, they're going to know you only as the, as the bodyguard. They're not going to give you any respect. So, and I tell that to other people. I said, look, pursue your dreams. Go out. You want to be a musician? You want to work in a band and stuff? Great. Do it. You know, there's plenty of time to, to go on later on. There's just, but there's life after that. 
you know, you get too old to, you know, you know, you get to be in your forties, you're not going to be doing, you know, Nirvana. <laughs> you're going to be doing something different, you know? That's right. That's so, right. you know, so if you want to become a studio musician, you can do that. That's fine. If things don't work out, okay, fine. Then do something different. This business is tremendous. You could do anything, tour management, do lighting. You can be uh, filming, you, can, you know, be a video photographer. You know, you could do, uh, you know, uh, you could do the body work, hard work, uh, right. you know, which is very, you know, it's amazing. You can be a personal assistant. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's just a ton of work. It might not be uh, completely, uh, you know, year round, you know, so you right. have to learn how to budget and stuff right. like that. You know, so you have to kind of know it doesn't go forever. You know, I mean, that's once you learn that, you learn how you okay, I'm going to I'm going to be out for a while, but I got to save some money because they're going to stop. You know, with me, I'm lucky I've got my pension, so it doesn't really matter. They stop. I don't care. I don't I don't base my my life around what I'm going to be making with Barry or anybody. I, I, I base my life around the pension. And then that way, if. You know, I can sit at home and watch Seinfeld and <laughs> <laughs> not worried about the phone, you know, being disconnected you know, right. or, or trying to find or trying to play a bad gig because right. you right. you have to do that. Yeah. You know, and right. it, it's this music business is incredible. I yeah. mean, it, it's really one of the most amazing things. Uh, you know, there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, amazing, uh, you know, opportunities, lifetime opportunities that will live, you know with you forever you know and hopefully you'll be able to to meet your drum heroes and they'll be you know they'll be calling you just like harry calls me all the time and i i tell him a lot of times i said i can't believe you call i got harry mccarthy calling me <laughs> just saying hello and and uh, what are you doing and stuff i mean it's just that never never was in my wheelhouse at all True. you know i only wanted to work you know with these major stars and never thought that they'd become my friends yeah. Right. It's yeah. really amazing. And I, uh, you know, I'm inspired just hearing your story, Carlos, and just the, the diversity in which you have served, uh, you know, serving the song, not only as a player and a drummer, but serving right. the artists uh, in the music business. It's really inspirational. So right. congratulations on all your well, success. I'm, it's amazing. I, again, I just been blessed. I, people have opened doors for me. That's all there's to it. I mean, uh, I've, I've been there and they opened doors, you know, between Lee and Lee Levin and Richard Bravo, Russ Miller and Jerry Brown, Max Weinberg, Karen McCarthy, all those people. If it wasn't for them, you, I would not be talking to you. You know, I know I would, you know, because they opened doors for me, you know, sure. and, you know, especially within this industry, because now I've been involved with them in this industry for over 30 years. So people know me. And now, you know, thanks to them. You know, I mean, it's it's a little bit different, you know, it's, you know, people, you know, they you don't have to look for for dinner dates. Uh, at right. Them. They, <laughs> they tell you, hey, we're going to have dinner at so and so. And Jules, I mean, and Jules, you know, yeah. again, the guardian angel of every drummer in this in this in this world. Right. I mean, she, you know, if it wasn't for Jules, you know. I wouldn't be here with you. Right. You know? It's an amazing artist. And you've certainly done your part too. You've showed up and you've done good work, yeah. networked, been kind to other people, you know. So so instead of the airing of grievances in Festivus this year, it's the airing of gratitudes. And I'm very Always. grateful for you, Carlos. I'm very well, grateful, I'm grateful for, for you. you. I'm, I'm grateful for what you do. Uh, you. you know, I mean, look, we're a Friday night. 
instead yeah. of us going out, you know, with our, 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 our family, we're here talking shop, right. you know, right. exactly. but that's, that's what you got to do. That's you right. know, I mean, that's always to it. I mean, that's the business. That's There's right. going to be good nights and bad nights. And this, is, I mean, this has been a tremendous night. It's nice going back uh, and, and reliving your history yeah. because for people who have never really heard it before, you go, oh, my God, that's right. that's a little bit different, you know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, and all your, your podcasts are incredible. You know, well, thanks. Your podcasts, you know, I mean, you're, you're really doing a service, you know, to us. By oh, by you. doing this, I mean, you know, you're, and your facility in the back is like, wow, I, I got to come there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm very lucky with my drum set, and I've got my yeah. dog Bob over here. So, right. uh, yeah, you know. but you know, my my person who's opened the door is Dom, right? Dom Familiero. Right. So Absolutely. I wouldn't wouldn't be here without him and folks like you. So right, and yeah. I get inspired by Dom like, yeah. like crazy because right. you know, watching him just speak. Right. You know, you get inspired all the time, you know, and I learn, you know, being behind the scenes, I, I see how he does it. I go, oh, that's like, OK. And I start right. I start to mess around with that. I start to do it. And, you know, I, and when I first started, I was not a great public speaker because I didn't have my, my routine down. Sure. You know, I mean, I but just because I didn't do it, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't good at it. That means I, I just kept practicing it. Every time they asked me to do something, I would criticize myself afterwards. I'm going, okay, I got to change that. I got to do something different. And, you know, like I'm so much into video now. Uh, and uh, now as part of the video of the uh, session presentations, when I was out with, um, with Barry, the production t- uh, filming crew, had, uh, they were trying to do a behind-the-scenes DVD extra, you know, okay. for the tour. Okay. At the, at the end of the tour, I basically, uh, in the production manager, sent me raw files. So I went ahead and we were doing all these these particular sessions. I said, well, a lot of people don't know what goes on, you know, before the show starts. So I'm going to do a behind the scenes uh, of a tour. Great idea. And and I, you know, since I'm, I I love to archive and stuff like that. And I love video. I learned how to, you know, trim and cut and put the, I spent about three days putting together this presentation of when you first walk in all the way to the end of the show. And wow. it's about three minutes and it's, and it, it works really, really well and kind of shows everybody, you know, this is what, ha- this is how a big concert comes together. And wow. you see people walking in, you see the, you know, the, 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 the lights being hung, you see, you know, I start, you know, you see the drum checks, you know, I mean, you see just a little bit of snapshots of everything, you know, what goes on behind the curtains, the video wall, the video screens. And, it's amazing. you know, I mean, you know, people that how they hang it, you know, and you know, like one guy uh, that, that uh, we basically, the place that we did it at, uh, we, he, the next day we were going to the Hollywood Bowl. And the day before that, they had already gone there and took measurements. So they already had the measurements. So the place that we were at, they hung it like we did at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. So when we got to the Hollywood Bowl, they had all the points ready and stuff like that. So everything went out the way it's supposed to. All of that, they had to take the day off, go to the Hollywood Bowl, and make measurements and stuff like that. You know, so by when it came time for them to do their job, it was right. right. You know, because it was right. they had diff- the Hollywood Bowl because of the shell and everything. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little bit different than just a regular box of sure. a, of, of a place. You right. Know? Right, you know, but uh, and it was amazing too that that particular place with a, a Concord that we were at that had all this footage is coming from Concord, uh, California. It's incredible. And where where can people see this, uh, Carlos, as well yeah. as 
Okay, that you can't see unless you go to the presentation. Okay, <laughs> got it. Okay, okay, yeah. I, I see. I mean, yeah. you know, I'll send that to you so you can see okay. it. Okay, but that's that's just you know that's just got it. I mean, that's one of the things. So I talk right. about basically production. I talk about the tip sheet. Okay. And you know where they can get it, they can download it, and then I said, you know, then I'll just I explain the video and I play the video, and that's how uh, how my presentation ends is with that's them, great. you know. So it, it works out really well. And I mean, it was it's really cool to see it. Like we're in, in England, we were in Manchester, and we were at this really high depth of school. I mean, it was incredible, and the entire back wall was a video screen. And uh, I mean, when they put that up there, I went. Oh my God, <laughs> because it's, it's professionally shot, you know, so it's like all the images and everything are incredible, you know, I mean, very high, it's high depth. I mean, it's all, it, it was done really, really well. So if it was really neat to see your work at big. <laughs> right. Big and in high depth, right? Yeah, in high depth, it was like yeah. you'd be in there, you know, and that particular place, Concord, California, Amphitheater, wow. I played that, I played there as a drummer for the letter. Did you? Wow. So, in fact, in 79. And, wow. Uh, and we went there in 2015 or so. Amazing. And I was, I was walking on the same stage that I was walking, I played on, you know, wow. which was very, it was a little, you know, it was nice for me yeah. because I'm going, look where I came from. I, right. I, I was here as a drummer. Right. And, and I came back, you know, 25 years, 30 years later as a, as a tour manager for very good. And, wow. and one of the things that we used to say on the, on the Letterman was that after the first song or the first medley, Tony Butella would say, you know, we'd like to, you know, we call ourselves the Letterman, the Bee Gees of the 60s. <laughs> All right. So, and look at me, I'm actually 30 years down working with an actual Bee Gees. Right. <laughs> you know, and you, and you couldn't even think about that. You know, like I would be, you know, I would be fortunate right. to actually work with somebody with that caliber. Who, that's full full circle right there, yeah, right? That's that and and the best. I mean, right. uh, everybody. Right. I mean, that guy forget it. He is he is the best of the best. I mean, Unbelievable. I've never I mean what you want to talk about a heart. You want to yeah. sure. get to know Barry Good. That that man is you know, that's why we everybody stays with him. I mean, right. we haven't worked with him since 2017. To a man, everybody was, is going to be there next week because, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, I mean, it's just the guy is amazing. Right. Yeah. The guy is amazing. And These what, are folks and, you yeah. want to work with, right? Right. And, yeah. and what, you know, and, and what, a, what a history, you know. Right. You talk, yeah. you talk to him and you hear the songs and you hear the songs live. Now, songs live sound a lot different yes. than from the record, yeah. and I and I noticed that from when I first started working with him. You know, it was like, okay, because like, I'm I'm not I gotta admit I wasn't a huge BG fan, you know, at all. But I mean, I respected them, but I didn't really go crazy for them. And I started working with them after the other three brothers had died. So you right. know, I mean, I never met the other three brothers, but when I when I heard their music live. And I saw how he rehearses, and he's he's a little stickler for tempo. I mean, he'll when he rehearses a tune, if if it's too fast, he's, let's bring it down one BPM, one, and he could he knows exactly how it's supposed to feel, you know. I mean, and then you think that it's too slow, and then when you hear it live with the people, you go, oh, all right, 
that's it. That's why it, it is the way it is. That's why it sounds the way it does, you know. Right. And uh, he's he's incredible. He's no. incredible. I mean, as as a, as a songwriter, he's the second most prolific songwriter under Paul McCartney. Right. I mean, some of the, these are legendary songs, a I legendary mean, career. In, in, incredible, you know. Right. And and one of the most humble artists I've ever met in my life. Mm. I mean, he really is, you know, I mean, completely humble. You know, everybody, everybody in that whole camp is is like one big camel. It's really amazing. Right. It's incredible stuff. You you are living the dream, Carlos. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to have talked with you. I really appreciate. Thank you so much, Carlo Guzman, for being on the record today. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Very cool episode. What did you think about that? We'd love to hear from you wherever you're listening from in the world. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it. And if you want to watch this interview, there's a video, too. You can check it out on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, musiciansontherecord.com. Until next time, I'm David Ward. Thanks for listening.